Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 86 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, I am recommending the Australian desert rock outfit Kitchen Witch. But before that, I welcome Burton Seabell to the program. Burton, of course, is best known for being the now former vocalist of Fear Factory for over 30 years. However, he came on the show to discuss the band that has become his main focus, Ascension of the Watchers. On October 9th, the band are releasing their second album, Apocrypha. This album has been in the making for a long, long time. The release was delayed by their successful Pledge Music campaign essentially being defunded after Pledge Music went away. Bert and I dived deeper into the challenges of releasing this album, as well as the spooky stuff that happened while recording it, ghost stories in general, surprise influences, life in lockdown, and more. Now before we dive in with Burton C. Bell, here's some of the title track from the Ascension of the Watchers album, This is Apocrypha. Not too bad, sir. How are you? Good. Um, Spotify taking Spotify seemed a little uh, taken aback. I expected uh, a UK number to come through, but <laughs> but it's not. But it's okay. <laughs> uh, I can do a terrible accent if you'd like. I I I don't have many I can pull from. No, your accent right now is perfectly fine. Thank uh, you. Alrighty, I, a little <laughs> a little NorCal flair to it is what I've got going and. Uh, I'll just say hello okay, once. Well, and, I'll say hello once and call it good. There we go. There you go. I'm in. Uh, I'm currently in North Hollywood, so I'm in SoCal. Oh, we're supposed to be enemies, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, how has uh, how's how have things been for you? Other than like you know doing ascensions of the Watchers press, how's your quarantine been? Uh, quarantine's been fine, to be honest. Uh, when quarantine hit in March. Um, the, my wife, my routine with my wife, our, well, our routine didn't really change that much. Um, instead of, you know, the, we're not going to restaurants and then we're not going to movies and we're not going to bars. I mean, you know, that's pretty much all that's changed, but, uh, we're doing fine. You know, I'm all as well. How about you? Uh, doing as well as can be. I'm, uh, I'm one of the lucky ones that gets to work from home right now. So I've been adapting to that. Today was weird. Had no internet. So I just had to, had to wing it on my phone. Um, <laughs> getting by, you know, the minor inconveniences that I know are, are super minor compared to a lot of other people right now. Well, yeah, well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, so like, how have you been keeping, keeping busy? Well, um, been writing, uh, you know, uh, trying trying to stay creative while we're in, indoors. Uh, been walking a lot, you know, away from people, of course. Um, that's you know, we did a we did a in the summertime we did a road trip so I could go visit my kids on the East Coast, and we decided not to fly, so we drove. That way we could really control our social distancing, and that worked. We never got sick. 
and you know we were seeing old people so not just my kids but old people at the same time so we were definitely being careful but other than that just uh you know just being trying to be creative and pushing this watchers album have, have you i know you're literally just about to put out an album but you're already looking forward to the next thing and how have you uh how is has it been difficult to stay motivated right now sometimes um i'm not really working on the next record i mean i have a couple ideas but mostly like writing like stories oh that's right um, just you know trying to you know move keep my uh artistic vision moving forward and accomplishing the things i want to accomplish in my life <laughs> i've been writing a lot of like um been working on a story for this album you know that's based on this album uh apocrypha uh that's what i've mostly been working on for the past couple months <laughs> two or three months actually and, and this story like uh how exactly does it tie to the album and are, are you imagining is this going to be a like a book is it just like an idea is it a comic film perhaps uh, i haven't really i haven't really well it's not, it's not going to be like a full-on novel, but it's going to be probably uh, more like a, a somewhat of a graphic novel, but with less images. Um, my my thought on this is to be, uh, you know, since the title is Apocrypha, the title of the story is the Apocrypha of Stormcrow. So it's uh, it's like lost texts that have been re that have been. Uh, found uh, lost, you know, in a cavern, much like the Dead Sea Scrolls were, and uh, this is mostly influenced by the Book of Enoch. So, if there's gonna be images, it's gonna be like one image to explain like a whole air idea, uh, much like uh, ancient texts do, or like old um, or, or old-fashioned stories. Like there's one image to the, you know, at the very beginning of the story, and then you read the story. And you just kind of alluded to something that was going to be a question I had later, but uh, in the earliest days of this album being announced and stuff like that, it was called Stormcrow. What happened to that title? I, I know it's it's still involved with the entire thing, though. Well, um, Stormcrow was part of the Pledge Music campaign. And when we started the Pledge Music campaign, Stormcrow, uh, the the whole all of the songs were in demo stage. And, um, the idea was there, but they had not been fully conceived um so when it came to do the pledge music campaign uh i felt that storm crow was like the perfect title at that point to really describe what i wanted to achieve and to get the ball rolling so to say um to me um storm crow was the messenger from the universe that brought all the music to me to, um to for me to create for me to released through my my passion and my art my soul and uh so as we were recording uh stormcrow and as you know we were progressing i already felt uh that uh, perhaps stormcrow um you know the song itself not just the song itself but the whole idea wasn't the best example so it wasn't it wasn't until after the failure of Pledge Music for the artists and the fans together that uh, we decided to continue. And as we continued, I felt that not only did the, you know, the recording was much more than I had ever expected, but the whole idea was much more than I anticipated. And so I felt that 
a new title. I took the artistic liberty of changing the title because I felt that it was, I felt that Apocrypha was a more apt description than Stormcrow, not just lyrically, but musically uh, and conceptually. So I took that artistic, I, I made, made that artistic decision and uh, I'm very happy that I did. Fair enough. And, and you mentioned the uh, the Pledge Music campaign, which is just a, a disaster. How, how have you recovered from that, or have you completely at this point? Because Pledge Music was a whole thing. Yeah, well, we... Personally, we didn't recover from Pledge Music campaign because we were never able to receive the funds necessary to finish the album uh, or to produce the items to uh, that the Pledgers made or to... Sh- and even if we produced the album produced the items we wouldn't be able to ship it because the shipping costs are on top of the pledging so all of that affected us greatly um it was a huge failure uh so you know so we finished the album by uh getting loans from uh, friends and loved ones and we were able to finish the album in that respect uh but when we finished the album we were looking for a label one thing we decided is that we whatever label we want that we wanted to go with the label. We wanted the label to honor, at least honor the CDs and vinyl. And I, we, because, because one, it wasn't that many. Our pledge music campaign was a success. Uh, it, we reached 124% of our goal. And the fact that we were able to do that because we did not, we were not asking for a lot of money. We we're actually a very, a very low amount of money, which is wanted enough to record and mix the album. So with, I could say roughly 400 people, we made 124% of our goal. And so there's like maybe 150 CDs, maybe hundred, maybe 150 pieces of vinyl. The label agreed to honor those. So we were very, we kept all the pledge music, all the information from the pleasure. So I had them all. So I've sent every, we've sent um, the label dissonance, Everyone who got a CD or vinyl or both, so Distance is going to send them uh, a copy uh, of the album that they, you know, that they pledged to help make. It's not Stormcrow, but it's you know they were part of this whole experience. Stormcrow died, and out of the de- out of death, Stormcrow came the rebirth of Apocrypha, and so therefore we feel that they're going to get it. Uh, everyone who did pledge will get a digital download. Uh, sent to them and so we feel that out of this whole fiasco and debacle that the watchers are going to come out on top it's like hey we got past it and we're still overcoming it and we and look you're still we want to honor those that helped us along the way that is super cool the uh, the label doing that because i mean on paper they didn't have to but it's it's that's great um yeah we we feel very happy about that that uh you know, not not all of it was just you know for naught. <laughs> some good uh, some good did come out of it, and uh, these people, those that helped us along the way, we're gonna get we're gonna get uh, so to speak. Uh, I wanted to touch on a couple of the tracks on the album that I, I checked out, and a couple stood out to me. Like the the track Honoree has some really cool vocoder effects that kind of remind me of a uh, Boney Bear. Is that something you were going for? And maybe if not, like what artists do you have in mind for that sort of vocal thing? Um, so, uh, that, that, so the vocoder thing, it's more of like a Mellotron 
and a vocoder. And because um, that was actually Jace's idea in the mix. Um, we I we were thinking of something else, more of like, uh, you know, more of like, you know, a chamber, you know, of like five people in a chamber singing to uh, their own resonance. So it was like all natural reverb. But uh, Jay started playing around with this idea, and uh, he he told me about it. And I didn't understand what he was saying. He's like, "Trust me, I'm gonna try this, and uh, I want you to listen to it." So because we were you know we were trying to figure out the best way to do honore, um, I wanted it to be intimate, but I also wanted it to build up, and the intimate parts had to be intimate. And that was the verses. So Jay's put this, like this mellotron effect. It was inspired by a band, uh, not Barn Ivor, but it's like another person's name. Oh, gosh, and it's on the tip of my tongue, but it was this other band that used it a couple times on one album that influenced him to do it. Oh, my God. It's like a lady's name. Um, oh, uh, Imogen Heap? That's it. I mean that. I mean, hide and seek is one of the greatest songs of all time. So I had a feeling it could have been that also. Yeah, it was uh, Imogen. It was that band that inspired that th- this effect for Honore. And when when I heard it, I was like, "Oh my god!" Blew me away. There's, you know, I don't hear anything out like that right now. Um, and when Jace told me about Imogen, anybody was like, oh, "Okay, I'll go check that out." And wow, <laughs> I was impressed. So, yeah, that was Jace's call, and I'm very, very pleased that he did that. I will absolutely come back to the record, but just a quick aside about Imogen Heap. Have you seen her Tiny Desk concert, the NPR thing? No, but I did read about it. Yeah, her her magic gloves that somehow control all her effects are amazing. I I don't understand how how they work, and I highly recommend it. I'm I'm writing that down right now. She she goes Thank on this thing. She talks about her gloves and how they're like some kind of MIDI thing. And she's like, I always have to play this song. And I always have to talk about these gloves. And she describes them in a way that probably makes sense if you know gear better. But it just seems like a magic trick even after she explains it. Um, but yeah, it's... Oh, wow. Yeah, she seems like a modern uh, Laurie Anderson to me. what seems likely to be Burton's final Fear Factory album, Genesis, that was some of expiration dates. I'll have more with Burton in a moment, but first, some shameless plugs. If you missed my appearance over at 6 o'clock Dad Rock Talk, you can still watch the archive video over at twitch.tv slash stabcomedy. Then keep your eye on the podcast feed for epic footnote productions, as I did an episode that was really fun and nostalgic. Not gonna say what it's about, but I'll make you a burr ding now, before I wrap my conversation with Burton C. Bell from Ascension of the Watchers, 
formerly Fear Factory, from Apocrypha, this is Honoree. Coming back to the album, uh, could you tell us the story behind the the title track and the weird the voices in uh, Northstone? Yeah, Northstone Studios. That's uh, where we recorded at. That's Jason's studio in Wales. Um, so Apocrypha, uh, you know, that's became the title track of the album, and uh, we at the point we didn't know that. But, uh, as we were recording the song, mostly as we were. Uh, recording the vocals all this act, strange activity we couldn't explain started occurring mostly when i started doing vocals for this album uh, you know jason and i are very logical people we're science minded so in that respect we we try to explain things the way that we can that you know we will explain things logically uh you know things that we don't understand or something that might have occurred and uh, there was a couple things that happened that we could explain away. You know, um, we'd come into the studio, go to the coffee station, and there'd be things thrown on the floor uh, that weren't there when we left. And so we, things like we could explain away by, oh, maybe it was the refrigerator shake you know, vibrating off that knocked everything over. Easily explained away. Um, but it got to a point where things we couldn't explain that uh, started becoming more interesting uh, the, so the, the day that we found that um, that voice uh, we'd go into the studio and uh, we try we go to record start recording the song and uh, I'm sitting in the vocal I'm, I'm in the vocal booth which is on the other side of the, the glass uh, from the control room so I'm looking at Jace through the window and uh, he can't hear me. I can hear him through talkback, but he can't hear me. So he's, you know, check your cables and all that stuff. So I do nothing. So a couple minutes later, he comes in, and he he, just, he checks the cable from the microphone all the way to the multi-input in the drum room. And uh, as we go to the multi-input, the cable for the microphone is pulled out. So XLR cables, you have to, like, unlatch it from the multi-input. You just can't, like... You know, trip on it, uh, and it'll pull out. It has to be actually unlatched. And we go there, and it's un it's un completely unhooked, laying on the floor from the multi input. And uh, I go, I didn't do that. And he goes, I didn't do that either. And I go, Well, that's interesting. So we put it back in, and we couldn't explain why it happened. I didn't do it. He didn't do it. Um, maybe he forgot. Who knows? Maybe I forgot. I did it on accident. Who knows? Um, so we start, the microphone's working again, we start recording, 
uh, vocal tracks and I'd go through the song a few times and a few times and uh, I decided to take a break. And as I'm taking a break, he's like, okay, I'm going to clean up these tracks and, you know, give me a few, give me a few minutes. So I'm relaxing in the vocal booth and uh, he goes, Hey, uh, what are you saying here at the end of the track? At the, I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, there's a, there's a waveform here at the very end of the track after the music. Did you say something? I'm like, no, there'd be no need for me to. Why would you be recording? He goes, well, I don't know. So I go, I leave the bulk of the go to the control room. And uh, I go, well, let's hear it. We'll, we'll see what it is. Maybe I was whispering or something or saying something. And uh, as we played it, we hear this noise. That was unmistakably uh, the, the wooden door between the live room and the control room. It was opening, and all of a sudden, you hear like the gain just go all the way up, like you know that the white noise of 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 a microphone that just just and just the gain is all the way up. You know that sound, just like hella red and, uh, in the in the mixes, right? Like when just that's right and shit. Okay, that's right. That and. Um, under that white noise, you hear this faint whisper. I'm like, what the fuck is that? You know, I don't know. And then the whisper ends, and then the unmistakable sound of the door, the wooden door closing. I'm like, what is that? And we listened to it again, and he kind of, he, he cued it so we could hear a little better. And uh, he goes, well, that's unmistakably a game going all, all the way up. And Chase would never do that because... If I were to whisper into a microphone that, was, that even had that much gain, I would still blow it out with my whisper. So it had to be something so soft that it just picked it up, picked it up enough to capture it. And we listened to it again. I'm like, what the fuck is it saying? And we listened to it again. It's not English, and it's, you know, it's not like, you know, is it Latin? Is it ancient Gaelic? We have no idea. But either way, we're like looking at each other and just hearing it. God, thinking about the, the hair on the back of my neck just stood on end, just got chills, and like, I don't know what that is, um, but it's fucking crazy. I didn't do that. Jace didn't do that. You know, if I was in the booth, I don't, I didn't. You would have heard me. So we don't know how it happened or when it happened, but I just when I decided, whatever it is, that's the intro to this song. This is whatever wanted to say something. It was answering me, or is it saying something about whatever I'm saying is going at the beginning of this? You know, it was, I guess we captured some kind of EVP experience. And uh, I don't know. We can't explain it, but we made it the intro. Uh, maybe someone could figure out whatever it's saying. <laughs> but uh, you know, that wasn't the last experience we had that we couldn't explain. Uh, things kept getting a little bit more intense, as I should say, that we could not explain. Has that shaken your? Uh, it sounds like you you alluded to just like not believing in ghosts, but are you like more receptive to the idea now? Oh, I've always been receptive. I mean, that's not the first experience I've had. There's, I've had a couple experiences in my past that I can't explain at all. Oh, please, let's go story it. Oh man, the, the first experience I remember, um, I was working at this movie theater in Santa Monica, and it's called the New Wilshire Theater. It was like an art house, and uh, you know, um, you know, uh, art, art, artistic movies, documentaries, that kind of stuff. But it was an old movie theater 
built in the vaudeville days. And so when they turned into a movie theater, they split it in half and made it two theaters. And uh, it was a very small crew. Just, you know, uh, it was just me and the manager at the time. I had finished uh, my duties as, you know, the concession stand person. So I cleaned it all up. And I was waiting for my friend, who was the manager, to, you know, finish upstairs. And so I'm not afraid of the dark. So I, I would go in regularly and sit in the middle of the theater on a chair and just relax in the dark. You know, the the, the door from the, the into the lobby would be open and the light be filtering in. So, one, you know, just a little bit of light, not much, mostly shadow. So I had my eyes open, looking forward, just relaxing. And I did, this was before cell phones. So I was just looking forward. And um, all of a sudden, I felt this cold chill around the back of my neck. And from my periphery in my eye, in the darkness, I see this fucking blue hand come across my face. <laughs> I freaked out. I jumped up and I fucking hauled ass upstairs, banged on the door. I was like, my God, let me in, let me in, let me in. And uh, she, you know, my friend let me in, and I got to hang out there and I told her what happened. She goes, "Well, when you say that," and she started telling me other things that happened, like in the in the uh, the, the film in the, in the uh, in the film room and the and the you know the projector room that you know people have been locked in there before for no reason, and then things happen. I'm like, "Yeah, this place is fucking haunted." And uh, so that was my first experience. Um, my second experience was I had this old, I was living on, I was living in this very old apartment in Milton, Pennsylvania on the river and, uh, you know, second floor. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend at the time was living with me and, uh, you know, we were talking one time ago. Yeah. Sometimes I, I see this. Sometimes I think I see someone at the end of the hall and it looked do a double take and they're gone. She goes, Oh my God they're standing at the end of the hall in your doorway in your in your library i'm like yeah oh, i've seen that too I'm like oh my god and um you know the the hallway the bedroom i'd have to close the door because i could swear that if I, the door was open someone was looking at me as i was sleeping i just fucking felt it but when i closed the door nothing it was the strangest thing and she felt the same way so um, yeah, that's, I've had a few experiences. Those are most a couple of notable ones. But when I got to Northstone, uh, the, the experiences just became tantamount and m more frequent. As, you know, the, the studio's built on a 250 on the grounds of an old monastery, and it's connected to a 250-year-old manor. And the manor stands on the grounds of the old monastery, and the studio's built with stones from the old monastery. So there's something there you know it's I, asking for like it I sounds said, like yeah you know i believe in like i said i believe in physical science and the facts of physical science and it is a fact that energy is a constant and i think there you know i don't know for a fact but there's some type of energy that runs our bodies and escapes when the when the vessel dies and that energy continues um you know, is it magnet? Is it electric? I have no idea. But um, that this thing, you know, it's a residual presence that stays around. Damn. Well, I figured we can we can wrap on uh, scaring the hell out of people with ghost stories. So uh, I oh, I love ghost stories. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's our spinoff podcast, Burton and the Ghosts. Um, well, thank, <laughs> thank, thank you for coming on my show. Uh, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and the new record is great. Um, well, thank you. So, yeah, uh, have a good rest of your day. And, uh, you know, when things normalize, if you're able to hit the road, I'll happily be there. I appreciate it. You know, um, we are planning to tour late, you know, hopefully in late summer as, as things are looking. And uh, we are planning a, a streaming event for uh, later this year as well. So, oh. just keep, yeah, just keep, you know, for the watches, just keep that open. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll, we'll be letting people know, but that's going to happen. It's going to be a cool event. Very cool. All right, dude. You have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Daniel. Talk to you soon. Ta-ta. Apocrypha by Ascension of the Watchers will drop on October 9th via Dissonance Records. You can order a copy now over ascensionofthewatchers.com, then keep up with the band at facebook.com slash aotwband. Now it's time for the recommendation. This episode, I am bringing you Australia's Kitchen Witch. Kitchen Witch are a quartet that play doomy, stonery desert rock. Their sound pays homage to Caius, Led Zeppelin, and everywhere in between while sounding both modern and nostalgic. Back in August, they released their second album called Earth and Ether. From said album, here is The Frontal Lobe in its entirety.
You can order a copy of Earth and Ether by Kitchen Witch now over at kitchenwitch.bandcamp.com and then follow the band at facebook.com slash kitchenwitchband. Now, as always, I'd like to invite you to head over to farbandmetalpodcast.com. There, if you're in a band, you can hit me up to be on the show as my recommendation, much like Kitchen Witch did. Also, you can find the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Then, of course, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.